well, well, we are back, baby! Welcome to Depressed and Shit, where conversations on mental health don't have to look or sound any one specific way. I'm your host, Leah Matta, and I am not a therapist, and this is not a substitute for therapy or a place for self-diagnosis. We'll have none of that shit! I'm just a person that has experienced a great deal of depression since adolescence, and I think talking about it and hearing people's stories is a magical and potentially very healing thing. Today, I have this book that I have referenced in the past many episodes, many episodes ago that sort of changed my life. It's called Lost Connections by Johan Hari, all about depression and anxiety in this modern social media heavy era. And there's a whole chapter about purpose. So today, I'm introducing you to a wonderful dude. His name is Sid, Sid Al-Thumali. And he, like so many folks in the past year, watched an industry in which he was active and thriving and trained to work in, watch it fully shut down. That industry is theater. Now he's since gotten a new job in an office as a receptionist and has this sort of privilege of still being employed and having that sense of safety. But what I keep coming back to is this concept of purpose. Spending this one life we have doing something we feel meant to be doing. And that's important for health, for mental health, for physical health, I might argue, really important. As you'll hear, Sid's been going through some real mental gymnastics as to whether or not he should even stay in the theater at all post-pandemic. And that's fucking real. Hey, if you connect with this series, please drop us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, open the app, and click those five purple stars. That would be aggressively appreciated. Sid also hosts an extremely dope podcast called Wayward Artists in a Wayward World, where he interviews similarly struggling artists on how they've been screeching by in these bizarre times. You can find the link in the Depressed and Shit show notes. All right, let's do it. Here's Sid Althumale. Welcome to Depressed and Shit. Thank you, Leah. It's nice to be on this show. How are you doing today? What has your day looked like so far? Was it a work day for you? Um, no. Uh, luckily, this job, I get the weekends off. So I, it's an eight to five job. It's the most adult job I've ever had. <laughs> you know, like the, oh, yeah, I thank God it's Friday. You know, TGI Fridays. I have literally never had a job with a schedule like that. Yeah, me either. Like never this is once my first in my one. life. <laughs> this is my first one, and you know, I I totally recommend it if you can if you can find it. That's very but, yeah. If I can find it, that's the crux in what you just said. Uh, in Spokane, I, uh, in Washington, Spokane, Washington, uh, the minimum wage I believe is about twelve dollars here, okay. and I get paid above like it's fourteen something. And, you know, working five days a week, it's, I get some good coin too during this awful time. It's yeah, it kinda, adds up. Yeah. Well, not really. I, I have a very expensive taste for someone who's not rich. <laughs> I can relate to that. So I'm going to ask you the same question twice. This is mm -hmm. kind of like a depressed and shit experiment. 
when you answer this question the first time, I want you to pretend that it's a little over a year ago and COVID-19 is nowhere to be found. Doesn't exist. Okay, so we're in this sci-fi world. It's a year ago. Pandemic is just a random word in the dictionary that's never crossed our minds. Where do you see yourself and your career in five years? Oh, boy. Um, initially, I was planning to do a lot of freelance work uh, until the day I was ready to apply for my master's, which would be around this time, actually. I had a grant that was going to go towards putting up a playwright festival for uh, young artists, and it was going to be a good time. You know, I had a boxing gym that I was going to rent out for free. Like I knew the guy. I was going to do my own marketing with the help of like the people who gave me the grant. Like it was going to be a big show for somebody who like is just coming out of college. How old are you, Sid? I am going to be 28 in May. I graduated back in 19. Um, mm. and, and then I started my theater troupe, the traveling theater company for Wayward Artists. Right. A and uh, we did a show in a bar. Like the moment I got out of college, we, we worked on the, the reflection, which is the baby bar show. And yeah, it was about her mom and her son trying to find each other again after a divorce. So you were really enmeshed in this theater world of Spokane. Mm -hmm. And you were working a lot, working specifically, you had this one giant project excitedly looming ahead, right? All that was going on while at the same time, you were also making moves to start applying to graduate programs in theater directing specifically. Is that correct? Yeah. So I started out uh, wanting to apply for theater directing. I was going to work a lot in the community. That was my plan. You were also looking at programs outside of Washington, right? So you were theoretically about to make it like a major physical move. My hope was to move out of here for sure. There isn't a lot of MFA theater programs in Washington. So moving was important. It was about time. You know, it was, I'm, I was working towards getting out of here. Okay. So now let's start over and I'm going to ask that question again, but this time with the knowledge that all the shit in the world in the last year has gone down. So mm -hmm. now it's today, 2021, where do you see yourself and your career in five years? Oh boy. I don't know. Like, that's what my mentor asked me. Like, what is the thing that you want to do right now? And I told her, like, I have no idea. You know, if you told me two years ago or a year ago, I guess what I was going to do, like just now I told you, you know, I had it all planned out. Like, you know, there, there was probably going to be things that dampen it or didn't you know? work out exactly or, how you expected. Sure. Yeah. But at the same time, like it was going to go down a certain path. I, mm -hmm. I felt now it's like, I don't know, <laughs> like I still like I have a vague idea, but like I just it's hard to really pinpoint what I want. This pandemic kind of took a lot but also gave me some new perspective. One of them being the actual politics of theater. I lately, I've just been kind of like super critical of theater and how we use it and the way it's being used now during the pandemic. I think a lot of people are trying to adapt something that clearly just doesn't exist anymore. Zoom plays, for example, mm -hmm. they are trying to apply the old way of doing theater onto this new platform, sure. which is like, it's not how you would adapt something like that's, this is why like zoom theaters, all of them are like kind of awful because you're not taking into account this new platform. And, and this was all bumming you out. It was kind of, it was bumming me out a little bit, but also just like, it's kind of thoughts that I've had for a while, but like, you know, the, 
the bourgeoisie of theater, like the the people who who see theater, Broadway, all that. It's just like like I'm not interested in catering to rich white people anymore. Yeah. And would you attribute some of that realization to just having all this fucking time to sit and think and really look at everything? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I feel like I've always had that perspective and I feel like I was always doing something, my theater troupe, for example, and doing plays in a bar and a boxing ring. Like those are, those are going to attract audiences that probably don't have any kind of exposure to theater Mm -hmm. ever. I feel like I was doing something in that moment to like change that. But like with this pandemic and everything, it's made me reflect a lot. How old were you, Sid, when you came over to the States? How old was I? I was 20. So you're actually relatively newer here. Just for the listeners, Sid, you grew up in Saudi Arabia. That's correct? Yeah, I was born in Seattle. My mom's American. She was born and raised in Spokane. And my father was born in Saudi Arabia. Okay. So that's where the the connection is there. Um, They moved when I was four. Mm -hmm. And... Oh, that's some trauma. That's like two hours. That, that could be like a whole other like episode. But I only ask because I wonder how much sensation of like being a newcomer or like an outsider to the American theater canon you feel, you know, since you've oh. only been here now as an adult for like seven ish years. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, like, I've never been exposed to theater when I got here. Wow. Yeah. Before I came to the U.S. for college, like uh-huh. I never read Shakespeare. I, I've never looked at a stage and saw a play. How interesting. So at the time I did do Rocky Horror. When I came to the States, it was like the shadow casting, you know, where you mimic. Yes, been there, done that. And a dirty, crusty movie theater in Los Angeles. (laughs) No, those are, that's, that's, uh, that's how Rocky Horror is meant to be watched. And that's totally crusty. (laughs) So I I was a part of that. I guess it was part of that rebellious phase, you know, that I never really got to have as a teenager. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I, I kind of want to improve on this. Let's take an, an acting one class. Because I came to Gonzaga, I wanted to be a journalist and an English teacher. Right. But right away, I realized that English wasn't like my forte, mostly because like uh, coming from the US, like coming from Saudi Arabia, I had never written an essay or like done any kind of critical thinking. You're really sort of naturally highlighting a lot of the differences between Saudi Arabian and American education. Well, it was uh, the school that I went to was very militaristic. Got it. Um, it was a, it was run by the government. So take that. Yes, <laughs> take that I will take that. Are. And yes, <laughs> um, not no critical thinking at all. No essay writing skills. Like I was kind of overwhelmed. But and then so eventually you did find your way to theater and that was your thing. That was it. Not really. For the longest time, I didn't know my place in theater. Mm. Like, why am I doing this? Oh, and that's the other thing. I didn't get to do the show that I got my grant for. So I had to return the money. I I also have, I asked them, hey, can you like print out a certificate or something for me? Just to prove that you got the grant. That really sucks that you had to give the money back and that you just couldn't hold it until things start to change. You know, like I probably could have. Right. Like I was like at this point, kind of where I am now, where I'm just like, am I even in it, into it anymore? Like, I'm just so frustrated with theater. Like, I don't really know where to pinpoint my frustration being in quarantine right now and thinking like, it's really broadening my perspective of my career right. and what it means to do theater. You shared with me a thought that really, really struck me. And I want to hear more. It's that you feel like you've recessed back to the person you were in high school. Can you explain what that looks like or what that feeling is? All right, here we go. So in high school, 
you would go to high school. That would be like a, an eight hour day, not what you want to do. I would go home. I have my spot, my couch, watch TV, sit on my computer, mm-hmm. sleep on that couch sometimes, take a nap, uh, and then just stay there for hours and hours and hours and mm. not going outside. That was a typical day and it was a loop, you know, like it, every day was that except on the weekends where, you know, you get to sleep in a little bit and stay up longer to watch more TV, play more computer. Mm-hmm. What I mean when, when I recess back in high school is like, I'm doing that same thing over again, except I am making money. I could go out, but I don't really feel like it. Like there's nothing open. When you were in that loop in high school, uh, what was your mental state like? It was awful because I yeah. had to like suppress a lot of things. Like I, I had like so much unchecked depression and um, homophobia, mm. like uh, self homo, like yeah, self homophobia, inter- internalized homophobia. And so, even though like I I knew at the time like I came out as like bisexual, but I I told my friends like you know like the gay stuff like I don't really I'm not really interested in that. Now I'm 100 percent queer, and mm-hmm. you know I I kissed a guy. Uh, and right, fucking right, so, you did. Oh, by the way, like si- like side, okay. I kissed a I kissed a random guy at a bar and we were both drunk it was i cannot what, imagine recently like, what is this what is like this it was anecdote? it was it was in two it was in 2019 i'm just saying okay. this because looking back on it now in 2021 what the fuck was i thinking i don't know I've, out- ki- I've kissed a lot of strangers okay <laughs> yeah it's just like i don't know it's weird <laughs> pandemic things that like it like that puts life in perspective right like, i know like those old memories are kind of like <laughs> oh what yeah, yeah i don't totally. even want to i don't even shake hands with people anymore i was just like i was curious to hear about that feeling of yours feeling like you've recessed back to the person you were in high school because i actually have also experienced feelings like that but in a slightly different way in that i just feel dumb and like skill less I think that's largely for my careers getting thrown out the fucking window, similar to yours. So I just feel like I don't have valid skills that apply to the world anymore, which therefore somehow weirdly makes me feel like I'm just a lame 16 year old again. That's what I was feeling too, because like, you know, when you're a high schooler, like you don't know what you want when everything kind of hit the fan. It was just like, <clears throat> oh no, I'm back to high school. And I don't know. I don't even know if I want to do theater again what did the last five years mean to me? Like, it's crazy. I just, I don't know. Like, uh, and that's when you asked me, like, w- like, where do you see myself in five years? Like, honestly, I don't know. I don't know anymore. Like I, I have hopes, I have ambitions. Like, like, I, I just don't know what that path looks like anymore. Yeah. Oh my fucking God. I know exactly what you mean. I will say my therapist, who's like a resilient motherfucker has been on this loop. Like every week we meet, she, mm-hmm. she just, based on everything that I come to her saying, which is a lot of fear and sadness about like my sense of purpose and like my sense of direction in life. Like that's a lot of what my therapy has been about the last few months. And so she's on this loop set reminding me that this time period is just an interim. Like it's just a middle ground. She says it all the time. And it has taken me forever to be able to believe her or like Mm -hmm. really take what she's telling me is true. I've just been in like so much denial. Yeah. I guess for me, like when you mentioned the interim, I think for me, it's a little bit more than that. It's more, I'm on a, like on a total, like career change, career path change. And I don't know if that necessarily, what that's going to look like when theaters open up, like, do I go back? 
also like just theater in, in general is not accessible. Like I, I would never imagine directing a show and then being like, hey, dude, like, yeah, my play costs like $40. And I'm just like, I don't even $40 think like- compared to prices in L.A. That's a fucking deal here in L.A. It's like 75, 80, I swear. But like but like for community theater, uh, I don't know. I have a lot of things, a lot of a lot, big thoughts, big thoughts, a, a lot of big thoughts and a lot of uh, free time in which to think them. <laughs> exactly. And I hate it because that's all I think about. Right. <laughs> What's going on with these dogs of yours? You have dogs. You, you yes. don't have dogs. When I came here to, uh, to the States, there were, we had two English Springer Spaniels, Eli and Peyton. And my exposure to dogs over in Saudi Arabia, they made me uncomfortable. And, you know, in Islam, there's just a lot of stigma towards dogs. Like there's a verse from the prophet that says that dog, like a, angels won't come into a house that has dogs in it. Oh, how you interesting. Know? I think Saudi Arabia, like from what I've heard, is a lot more liberal now. So not they're they're like, cool on dogs now. A little bit more. So knowing that I was gonna live with these two dogs, Eli and Payton, I was just like, oh, I don't know. I don't want them to touch me. And then month one, month two of me being here, like I became one of those like dads, you know, like who didn't want a dog. But then like they became like <laughs> once they got them, like like they became their whole world. So they were than- significant for you because I really feel passionately that pets can be huge for mental health. Just oh, no. ge- general my, general level of joy. In my life. dogs, my dog saved my life. You know, there I you know, with being depressed, like there are moments there are there have been moments a lot of times uh, where I've been suicidal. And I think like I was pretty close to it. But then realizing like just how much Eli and Peyton loved me, I was like, you know what? Five years. Let's just, you know, that's probably their lifespan. Let's wait until five years and see how life turns out. Wow. Yeah. And five years, like that's when I figured out directing and everything. And like, I think I had a new lease on life that I never had before. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, that's really interesting. But like, it didn't really come into perspective until Peyton passed away. He died on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, 2019. Pets passing is so hard and so sad, but it was so hard to explain to other people when you're going through it. It was shocking. I was in grief for like, I'm I'm still in grief, but like I I had to like take work off because I was like in grief for the whole week. But then, you know, Eli was there and he was there. But then around May 18, like a week after my birthday, we put him down to. This was during the pandemic. It was during the pandemic. Yes. Fuck. Losing losing a dog in a pandemic is awful. <laughs> like those dogs saved my life. I didn't really have friends growing up either. Okay, I had friends, but it was like a lot of the times the people that I got close to like would always just it would always end in shit. So like I'm not really connected with anybody anymore in Saudi Arabia. A lot got of it, it is because of me because I chose that. How, what do you how mean much you I, chose that? With the the politics in Saudi Arabia, like I really can't be a queer person and agnostic in that country. Mm-hmm. And the friends that I had are part of that, you know, culture. And it's just like, it's one of those things where I can't really, like, I'd rather just like not talk to you guys than get into this fight. Were you yeah. out? Were you out to anyone? In, no, no one Absolutely. at all. I had online friends from America. Sure. Who are, you know, by bi and gay. And what like about your other- parents? Uh, no. I was out to nobody. I did not talk about my trauma to anybody. Mm-hmm. I had nobody to talk to about any of this shit, like except online, which, you know, in retrospect, it was nice to have that. 
but I, you need to talk to like having the, the value of talking to somebody in person is really nice. Oh my God. A hundred percent. And it's just like, I, there was like, even a time I didn't even talk about my parents' divorce. Like I couldn't tell the people at school that my mom converted from Islam to back to Christianity. Got it. Got it. Because it was just like, uh, Well, you were up against all of these pretty major taboos and like very mm -hmm. stigmatized pieces of information. Exactly. I mean, these things are stigmatized here as well. I can. So, I mean, I I can't really assume one way or the other in Saudi Arabia, but with the way you're talking about it, it sounds like, yeah, you were up against a lot of societal bullshit. A lot of it can get you killed, you know, Right. (laughs) it's like, you know, why, why did you move to the States? Was there a a real big reason for that Uh, pretty significant change? Well, the U.S. is my culture, too. I was born here and that's like my mother's side of everything is American. So Americans might have a different opinion of this, but like the freedom over here that that is experienced is like unparalleled to like what was going on over there. So like I could literally do whatever I want over here mm-hmm. if I wanted to, and no one could say anything about it unless, you know, obviously if it's illegal, <laughs> like, you know, the perception is that there's immense amount of freedom and you can do essentially whatever you want here. Yeah. And that appealed to me as somebody who, oh, and also I was very Westernized. Like I was not into what the other kids were into in Saudi Arabia. Like even like the music, like I, Arabic music is so cool and I appreciate it now, but as a kid, like I hated it. Also, I couldn't understand them. I didn't know Arabic for a long time. Like I was kind of just thrown in there. Like at age like, four, at when you moved there at age four, you did not speak Arabic. I knew some things. Okay. Like I knew, you know, maybe some basic letters and stuff. Talk but like, about like, feeling isolated. Shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> This is really reminding me a lot of a student that I was tutoring for a little while back in the fall that was raised here in LA in a trilingual household, but Mm -hmm. really the emphasis was Armenian and Russian. And she basically was not speaking English any amount and she was starting kindergarten. And so her folks hired me as like a non-Armenian and non-Russian speaker to just like throw her into the fire and like help her learn English. And I was like, this child is so fucking terrified and she can't even communicate that to me because we don't have a common language. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my God. It was so gnarly. What an experience. I, yeah, I was very isolated. Like I, I was grateful that I did have as a kid, like I did have a friend who, you know, he had an Arabic dad and American mom and like, we had the same same interest. Like we played baseball. Like they lived on an American compound, mm-hmm. uh, which you know, like if you're living on an American compound, that's a whole different life over there. It, like different it. rules. It's we played baseball. You know, like nobody Very inside Westernized. Arabia. Was, yeah, totally. yeah. Nobody, nobody inside Arabia was playing. Like they wouldn't even know what baseball is, and uh, there was comfort there. But like once we kind of disconnected, like I tried to fit in as best I could. You said that you experienced depression and thoughts of suicide in your high school years, right? Did you? Well, no, <laughs> I experienced that when I was 13. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like 13, seek... 12. Did you have any access to support or you d- or talk about that much with anyone when you were going nope. through that? Absolutely not. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> There's really nothing much else to say. No, um, it's true. I mean, it's true. What about yeah. your depression now? Yeah. So when I got to college and realized like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm an adult. I can actually go to therapy. 
um i went i had i had access to the student counselor at gonzaga which i love him like even like you know how school sometimes they give you like a limit how many times you can see like the therapist yes 100 percent. before you have to start paying out the ass for it or like you know being recommended to an actual therapist like got it we would bypass that (laughs) so i see him and those are good times like he even gave gave me medication like lexapro for a while and I didn't really uh, respond really well to the medication. So we okay. kind of went off it. That definitely but, happens. Yeah. So once I kind of like figured it out, like my path and everything, like, ah, I, I can't tell you how much like doing Dog Sees God, the play for my senior thesis, like changed my life, put me on a path that I knew I was going to do. And I told him that, like, I told him I felt different. I feel more, more sure about what I want him kind of like going through that with me. Like that was really important. Now, as an adult, it's hard when you have a full-time job and trying yeah. to find time for therapy and doing it consistently. It's true. Like, I'm paying for, I have, my insurance is really good. All I need oh. is to pay a copay. That's like, good. Like that, it's like 30 bucks for the copay. And it's like, I can literally do this, but it's just that in order to be there consistently, I would have to not work, <laughs> you know? And like, and I won't, then I won't have the insurance. Yeah, I'd like to do this anymore. And it's wait, just like, well, what do you mean? How many hours of therapy are you trying to do every week? Well, well like, uh, like sessions, you know, like, yeah, like a, a session every two weeks or whatever, like three weeks. I'm just asking for those days off. You have to take a whole day off to do therapy. I mean, I'm getting I mean, to the bottom of this with you said, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going to get you back in therapy. <laughs> I, I mean, probably like, I mean, I can't understand. I can't understand the feeling of Maybe Having, I could ask my boss. Okay. Well, yeah. You're calling me out. No, I, I mean, get it. I get it. And maybe I, maybe I'm just like, well, also, here's the thing. I, I totally get the fear or like the feeling of going to therapy and then not wanting to have anything else to do that day, because sometimes a therapy session is really fucking intense. And if you have therapy midday or in the morning, the idea of going to work after therapy is like, fuck no. I know for me, a lot of therapists work in the evening. Actually, my therapy is on Tuesday nights at from six to seven o'clock. So everyone for, for you, the listener, if it's Tuesday at six o'clock Pacific standard time, Leah is in therapy, (laughs) (laughs) but I like that it's in the evening because then I can just kind of like stare at the wall and cry after words and then go to sleep and feel great the next day. Exactly. I mean, I think my, like the one I really want to go to, which is like all a part of like the system that I'm a part of, like it, it's kind of around the same time that I, I work, like I, with everything being online, I could Got probably it. do it on my lunch break, but it's just like, I don't want to do a therapy session on my lunch break. Yeah. I my get lunch, it. It's my lunch break. Totally. You know, like I remember the first time I did my therapy session and just bawling and crying and just mm-hmm. being like, ugh. Totally. Well, that was, it was nice to talk about it, but gosh, I cried. Yeah. It's fucking heavy. And you like, yeah. release, you release shit that, you know, for lots of reasons you've been suppressing, uh, like the, we all do it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I should definitely do it. These but... struggles, these struggles that you shared with us today, like more recent struggles, you know, your feelings during the pandemic about what the fuck is going on with my career. This, this thing theater that I love so, so, so much is just like going down the tube. Do you talk about this stuff much with your community? I did talk about it with my mentor when I last saw her and she, yeah. it's surprising that she feels similar because, uh, you know, she's in her like, um, mid late thirties or so. And okay. she's, uh, she went to DePaul university. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So prestigious school, but she was having the same thoughts and feelings. And I was just like, wow, holy shit. 
like you're not a, you're not sitting here right now trying to tell me otherwise. About- right. You were like on a very even level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> this meeting with your mentor, did you leave with any revelations or realizations or did she say anything that caused I, I, you to feel better in any way? It was nice to just talk about it, honestly. Yeah, like release. it was uh, like a little bit of a release. Um, like it, it, it made me rethink about like other people are going through this. Like yeah. it's sometimes it's hard, like, especially when you are, I, I'm super isolated. Like a lot of it, like not really by choice. Like, mm-hmm. I wish I could go out to like Disney World in Florida, but like, mm-hmm. I would rather die, you know, than to go to Florida. Or you'd rather not die. Oh, oh I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, like if I want to die, I could probably go to Florida and get Roger that. Well, I, no, I, I'm lying because I can't get COVID now because I have my shots. Nice. Me too. Yeah. So I would love more than anything in the world to fucking get out of Spokane, Washington. Right. Like I need to get the fuck out of here. I am. I'm a person who needs to move. Yeah. You were on this path before the pandemic and you want and deserve to stay on that path. Or, you know, like it's not necessarily a path. It's more like a break, you Got know, it. like from the small city life, from the, the small thoughts. That's why I liked ACTF. So the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival was a festival that brought, you know, people from different states like who do theater into uh, one venue. And it really puts into perspective that like, wow, my tiny theater, my tiny Gonzaga theater department is like not the entire world, you know? It was so cool getting to see all those people. And before the pandemic, I traveled. I like, you know, I went to Seattle to go see a play. And then I came back the next day. Yeah, I went to San Francisco by myself to see this podcast group that I watch. It was so cool to be in this whole other city with all these other people and all these cool things to do. I really just, oh, in Chicago. I went to Chicago and Leah, my heart's in Chicago still. I love Chicago. You know, my folks live there these days. They retired there like five years ago. I have one last question and I I really want to ask it because I think it leaves a certain lighter, like potential sense of joy and positivity in the world. Does that sound good to you? Uh, Sure. Go ahead. Name a specific memory of theater that you have from your life working in the theater, a memory that's particularly special to you that helps you feel some teeny tiny semblance of hope for the future. Regardless of all the bullshit that's gone on, a memory that keeps you at the back of your mind thinking, yeah, I think I probably will do theater still when the world opens up again. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, Well, the thing that at least makes me want to keep doing performance, like doing art, that I think there's a couple, but I, I kind of want to talk about something that I don't get to talk to about a lot. Okay. I had an apprentice. I had an apprentice. Um, she was going to be my assistant director for the playwright form that I was doing. Art recommended that I have somebody with me to like, you know, bounce off directing ideas and you should make it a whole mentorship because that wouldn't look good on not only your resume, but when you talk about it to school, um, they'll be like, Oh, that's so cool that you did that. <laughs> so I knew this girl, her name is Georgia. Her name is Georgia Kittredge, not was like, she's, she's alive. <laughs> she's here. Mm-hmm. Um, I reached out to her. I was like, Hey, do you want to be my assistant director for this thing? And she was like, totally on board with it. Like, we didn't really know each other that well. And so it was like, okay, yeah, sure. I could do that. <laughs> and 
for the whole year, like even through Zoom, like knowing like we weren't going to do the playwright form. I just taught her about everything that I was taught about theater, mm-hmm. like everything that my professor taught me. And it was so cool getting to teach her. She was the only person that I got to talk to theater about with anybody. Like, sure, we had the podcast, but we were meeting back in March of last last year. And recently she texted me. This was after like we had to stop doing the apprentice stuff because of her school. She came up to me and was like, hey, we're reading Angels in America right now. And it was because of your sessions. I can talk about why why a play like this is important now. Oh, awesome. And I'm just like, shit. Yeah. Like, like that renewed like my sense of like, oh shit, I really want to be a professor yeah. in the arts. And, you know, other moments of like that have happened before, like doing Doxy's God, the people who were helped by that show to get therapy and to be better people and, you know, to help kids who like the show is about mental health and teenagers, but it was also a parody of Charlie Brown. Mm-hmm. But like people got therapy and stuff and they wanted to like help kids who are in those situations where they can't talk about their mental health, you know? Yeah. I was like, dang, that's, that's so cool to hear. And like even talking about like, you know, some of the actors getting therapy too. And, you know, others, people being like, yeah, this place kind of inspired me to come out. And I was like, oh, whoa, wait, <laughs> like, holy so shit. Dope. Yeah. Like, I like, um, I think I put an emphasis. And you facilitated like, in that. Those are the things like, but especially like that message that Georgia sent me, like, those are the small things that are just like, damn, I know my place is in the arts and whether it's performing arts, theater, what have you, like, as long as there's human connection to be made, like, I'm going to be there. You know how those surveys have questions and then you have to fill in a bubble that's like very likely, somewhat likely, undecided, not likely at all, right? So if you if you answered a survey like that for the question, how likely are you to continue a career in theater post pandemic? What do you think you would fill out on that survey where from the perspective of where you're standing at today right now? Okay. Um, hmm. I would say most definitely, but in my own way. And I don't want to make myself sound narcissistic, like, oh, it's my way or the highway or anything like that. I, I, what I mean by that is I want to facilitate it and I want to bring on the people and I want to be a collaborator. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on Depressed and Shit, Sid. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's come full circle, huh? What yeah, it really has. I know. <laughs> Depressed and Shit was recorded in a real, live bedroom in Los Angeles, California. Music by Eric England, logo designed by Carrie Weiss, produced and hosted by Real Honest Batch, Liamata. Do you have reactions to today's episode? Do you have an experience with mental health you'd like to share? Or are you the baby angel from the heavens that wants to donate to cover administrative costs and all that fun shit? Email us at depressedandshitpodcast at gmail.com. No asterisk here, folks. That's just the logo. Shit is spelled S-H-I-T. Bye-bye. To repeat, depressedandshitpodcast at gmail.com. See you next Wednesday.